Father, we do want to sing of your love. It's, it's amazing. We, we try our best to think about what the day will look like when we stand before you, when you come back for us. And the reality is, is you are coming back for us. And that day, Lord, some of us are just going to be laid prostrate, not be able to mumble a word, not be able to say anything, just be in a sense of awe and reverence of you. And so, Father, I thank you. Until that day comes, we will worship you. Thank you, O oh God, for the gathering this morning, being able to come together and really get around the person in the work of Jesus Christ, which is our all hope. And Lord, this morning, would you encourage our hearts? Would you convict us? Would you do all the things you need to do in us? We've come in this room this morning with a bunch of different mess. So Father, would you meet us this morning? That's what I love about your word. Your one scripture can impact all of us in 20,000 different ways. Thank you for the power of your word this morning. So Father, would you use it? to bring yourself glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Epiphany Church, how we doing this morning? Come on, how we doing this morning? Amen. Well, it is so good to be gathered with God's people proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ. We are coming off of the heels of a very, very, very busy, busy weekend. Um, we have uh, spent the weekend in the, the city of brotherly love. We were down in Philadelphia uh, over the weekend, and we were at a what's called a Thrive Frequency Conference, uh, and it was a great, great, great joy, and uh, really walked away refreshed and encouraged uh, as we were talking about so many different pressing issues that are pressing on this community, pressing on the church overall, all of our churches, the Christian churches, those that believe in Jesus Christ. Uh, there are issues that are pressing on us that we are trying to unify and through going to this conference, we were trying to get equipped to be able to do that. Uh, let me publicly just express my, my gratitude for my pastor and spiritual father in ministry, Dr. Eric Mason. Can you guys help me thank God for Dr. Eric Mason? I'm a little biased. I, I, I'll admit I'm a little biased. Uh, I'm only putting eyes on him this morning because he faithfully puts eyes on Jesus Christ. And I think the Lord is using him in our time to be a prophetic voice to really unify the church. And I don't think, you know, one of the things about him with, when it comes to unifying the church, uh, you know, unifying the church never means just be silent on issues. But unifying the church means we need to talk about some really hard and rough stuff. And we need to look back at the history. You know, when you get pulled over by, by the police and they take your, your license and they go back to their car, one of the things they're doing is they're trying to see how to approach you based on your past behavior. So when they look at your stuff and they come back, they'll approach the car differently based on your past. And so one of the things we did over this weekend was we constantly look back at the, the, uh, at the past of, of the church and how we've missed opportunities really to reconcile around racial tension in our country. And how can we do that better? And so this week, this weekend was a great, great, great weekend for us. It's also a very, very special day today. And it's a special day, uh, yes, because we get together with God's people and, and, uh, and say hi to each other. But it's also a special day because it's Miss Carol's birthday. Amen. Amen. At the expense of embarrassing her, I'm going to ask her to come, come up. Come on, Miss Carol. You, you got on shoes? I don't know if you have on shoes this time. Okay, she got on shoes. They nice shoes, too. She got a Cole Hans on this morning. 
Amen. Listen, I, I want to publicly um, just talk about this young lady today on her special birthday. You know, one of the things that happens with our culture is we are a very low honor culture. We don't honor people enough. And this, uh, this, this, this lady has been instrumental in this church, not just like now, but since the inception of our church, she has been so, so, so faithful to this church in terms of when you guys aren't here and no one's thinking about the building, she's here cleaning up. She's in the bathroom cleaning. She's whatever needs to be done. The other day she was up under a seat over here. Someone dropped makeup or lipstick and she's up under the seat scrubbing. You know, we have to literally tell her to go home and not clean up anymore. She'll get every dust particle. Uh, but I, I want to honor her today because, you know, not only that, but she pours into our young ladies. I know she gets on tie. She says, what you cooking tonight for dinner? You know, and she'll get on tie. And, you know, that, that's really what we need. We need the older generation pouring into the next generation. And, you know, it's easy for her to say, you know what, there's too many young people at that church. I'm just not connected there. Uh, but she sees her role, like she gives her life to invest into this generation. So we want to honor her today. And one of the ways we want to do that is we want to send her to get her a massage. Amen. So we are giving her a spa day. And I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, I love you and we honor you today. Thank you. Amen. Y'all help me thank God for Miss Carol. Man, we call her Mama Carol. When y'all see her after church, make sure y'all just say hi to her. Uh, don't, don't just say happy birthday, but thank her for all that she does here. Won't you grab your Bibles and meet me in 1 Peter chapter 4. Excited to be back into the Word of God. Excited to be back in the Word of God. Listen, we're finishing up the, the fourth chapter today of 1 Peter. And one, you know, one of the things that happens is it's really downhill from here. Uh, chapter five has a has some good thoughts, but uh, we really are almost done with this book that we've been in for a long time. As you guys are turning there, let me just give quick quickly give some pastoral reflections. Uh, I am so so excited to see Edwin in church today. Can you guys help me thank God for Edwin? Raise your hand, young man. This is this is Eddie's one of Eddie's sons and. Uh, the reason I'm excited to see him today is uh, last week and on Saturday, late Saturday night, uh, he was standing at a bus stop and, and some just random dude just walks up and uh, uh, assaults him, just strikes him in his face, literally breaks his jaw. He is sitting there with his jaw wired shut. And I was in the hospital with him and just I was I was moved by his uh, his still his spirits was still up and. Uh, he was even gracious, and even his father, Eddie, was just really, really gracious. Me, I would have been, y'all would have had to pray for anger issues with me. I would have been looking for retaliation. Uh, but I watched the, this family just uh, go through this in a way that was so, so God-honoring. So we thank God for uh, Eddie and Edwin and Eric and all you guys being here today. Just love you guys, and thanks for being here. He did not have to be here. Amen. Also, really quickly, I'm so excited to see Timmy and Io are here. For, right after they wed and they here. They are newlyweds, y'all. I don't know where her husband is. Where's he at? He's somewhere working, but uh, we are grateful to see them. All right, why don't you guys do me a favor? Pick me up in verse number 12. I'm supposed to be at 1 Peter myself, and I'm not. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, pick me up at verse 12. We're going to finish up the chapter today. Here's what verse 12 says. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when they come upon you to test you 
as though something strange was happening to you. Verse 13, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Verse 15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Verse 18. Now he's about to quote Proverbs chapter 11, verse 31. If the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Verse 19, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Uh, I want to spend some time this morning as we finish up the fourth chapter. I want to spend some time talking a little bit of a crazy topic, but I want to spend some time talking about the gift of suffering, the gift of suffering. Let's pray. Father, as we conclude this chapter today, we do so dependent on you. Would you be so kind to speak to us through your word? Uh, no new revelation. Speak to us right out of what you've already spoken by your apostles. Father, I pray that the word would be encouraging and convicting today as we talk about suffering again. Pray that the word would really, really pierce our hearts today. May Jesus Christ be glorified. May he be seen as uh, the ultimate one who has suffered for our sins. May we look to him today for comfort and for solace. It is in Christ's name and Christ's name alone we pray. Amen. The gift of suffering. Mount Whitney sits as the highest point in, uh, in the United States. It is uh, a seven-mile hike up this tall mountain. And it is a hard hike to get up there. But once you're on the top, I hear that the view is spectacular. When you get on the top of Mount Whitney, you can look around and just see so many things. And one of the things you can see is if you look southeast, eight miles southeast, you will see the lowest point in the United States, which is called Death Valley. Death Valley is a place that you do not want to go. It is 134 degrees in the shade. So you can imagine the heat that's there. Now, note the contrast, only eight miles apart. One place is you're literally sitting on the top of the world. And then another place, you're at the bottom of the world called Death Valley. And one of the things we see within this contrast is we see that there's two different points. Now, here's what's interesting. Last week when we got together and we were going through uh, all the way up until verse 11, when we got to verse 11, Peter did something crazy. Peter bust out in a doxology. Last week, we thought it was appropriate to invite the worship team up, and we all worshiped and sang a doxology. And at the end of the verse, it says this. It says, verse 11, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Peter ended our time last week on Mount Whitney. But today he takes us down to Death Valley and he talks about suffering. And might I humbly add, he's talking about suffering again. This is like the third or fourth major time that Peter has addressed this topic of suffering. In fact, some of the language in our passage today looks a lot like what we saw in chapter one. I was joking around. I, I was going to have the audio team just replay the sermon from chapter one. I was just going to reenact like I was preaching it all over again because of the redundancy in the language. I did not wake up this morning excited to preach about suffering. I just didn't. Like no one wakes up like I'm going to preach about suffering today. This is a great Sunday. In my mind, I was saying, why is Peter addressing this again in almost the same way? 
But one of the things I know about the text is anytime there's redundancy, it's not, a, it's not an opportunity to be mad that he's saying the same thing, but it's an opportunity to say, God, what are you trying to say to me? Redundancy, re- the repetitive nature of the scriptures is important for you. It's God trying to get your attention. I do this with my kids. I often say, I don't just say clean your room one time. I say, clean your room, clean your room, clean the dishes, clean the dishes, move your book bag, move your, clean the counter. I'm, I'm trying to birth in them a sense of discipline. And what, what Peter is doing this morning by giving us the consistency of the same languages, he's trying to birth in us a sense of not being shocked by suffering. This is like the third or fourth major time that he introduces us to us. And what he's really trying to do is he's trying to show us that suffering is common. Why don't you look back at verse number 12? There's a lot in verse 12. It says this, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. Look at this language to test you as though something strange was happening. It is important that you pick up when Peter talks about suffering. He really gives us two aspects of suffering. He says in the text this morning, do not be surprised, dot, 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 and do not think it's strange. So when he gets to suffering, he is really saying the one that has put their faith in Jesus Christ It is common for you to suffer. Here's what's uncommon, to see a believer that doesn't suffer. That's uncommon in the text. What's common in the text is that you will suffer. Here's 2 Timothy 3, verse number 12. It says, all of those who want to live a godly life in Jesus Christ, the text says, will be persecuted. It does not say you might be persecuted. It doesn't say there's a possibility of persecution. The text tells us in 2 Timothy 3 that you will be persecuted. And it's backing up what Peter is saying this morning. But Peter says it, says it this way. If you're going through suffering in hard times, don't think that is strange. If you're going through suffering in your hard time, don't be surprised about it. Now, suffering in the text and how we suffer today is a lot different. Like they're going through what's known as government sanctioned persecution. Like the emperor Nero is co-signing on Christians being hung on crosses and their bodies being burnt. The emperor Nero is literally co-signing that that believers will be eaten by wild animals and that they'll be put into the ring of with gladiators. And so this is it's like one thing when someone doesn't like you. There's another thing when the government is saying it's okay to persecute Christians. So in our text, it's a lot different than what we deal with. Nevertheless, this text is applicable. And the reason it's applicable is because all of us in here have experienced suffering at some some form and some way of suffering. Suffering is anything that causes harm on any level. And so some of you walked in this morning and you just finished a round of chemo. Some of you walked in this morning and and you lost your job this week. Some of you are walked in with some type of illness in your body. Some of you walked in and you're on the brink of a divorce. Some of you walked in and, and, and just things are not going well. You have a death of a loved one in your family that you are grieving right now. Here's what the text is saying to me. If you walked in and you had a round of chemo, don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. Now, you don't, you don't grow churches off of this type of a message. Like you coming in, you know, the preacher that says you come to Jesus and everything will be all right. When you come to Jesus, you won't suffer. Everything will go well. You have money in the bank. That's not biblical. That's not accurate with the scriptures. People that preach a prosperity gospel must literally rip out verse 12 of the Bible. Not only verse 12, they must literally rip out the entire book of Job. Like Job is 42 chapters. And the crazy thing is he doesn't suffer in chapter one. And like by chapter two or three, he's restored. He doesn't get restored until chapter 42. 
42 chapters. And here's the thing about Job. In Job chapter 1, verse 6, it says he was righteous and he was upright. Now, how do you take a man that is righteous and upright and then literally watch him bury 10 of his kids while he has boils from head to toe on his body? But he was upright. So what happens is we walk and we say, God, but I did everything right. What happens when you cross every T? What happens when you dot every I and you still get cancer? What happens when you're faithful to the things of God? You're faithful to God. You're faithful to community. You're faithful to ministry and you still lose your job. Here's what Peter is saying to us this morning. Do not be surprised. Peter is saying, don't be caught off guard by it. It is actually very normal. Look at the language here. Again, it's very similar to chapter one, verse number six. In our text today, it says, beloved, don't be surprised by the fiery trial. But in chapter one, verse number six, he says, you have been grieved by various trials, meaning there's more than one trial in life. And if you're not going through right now, just live a little bit longer and you will go through. My father gave me a book when I first got into ministry. And it was providential. I don't even think he knew why he was giving it to me, but it was a book by a guy named H. Beecher Hicks. And the book was called Preaching Through the Storm. And the book was about this, this, how this storm broke out in this church and this pastor had to continue to preach through the storm. And by the end of the book, the storm resides and peace is restored into the church. But it's interesting that H. Beecher Hicks calls the last chapter, Storms Keep Coming. Now, I thought that was an anticlimactic way to end the book. Why would you end it by telling me another storm is coming, especially when the peace is already restored? But what H. Preacher Hicks is trying to tell us this morning is that even though you've gone through a storm and peace is restored, don't be surprised another one's coming. Another storm is coming. Suffering is coming. It is a way that God uses to sanctify us. Life is full of ups and downs. God never saved you with the intent that you will never suffer. He never saved you with the intent that you will not go through. No, no, no. He didn't do that. Verse number 12 says, don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. Some of us are too shocked when we go through, but the reality is we shouldn't be shocked. So in our text this morning, Peter says, beloved, do not be surprised. He says at the fiery trial. Now he's going to give us the purpose in verse 12. Please pick this up. If you write in your Bible, underline this next phrase. When it comes upon you to test you. To test you. God puts us through suffering and through trials and through hardship. The text says to test you. Now, depending on where you see this word testing, it could mean different things in different contexts of the scripture. For example, when when Satan comes to test you, it literally means he's coming to tempt you. So when Job was tested, he was tempted. When Jesus in Matthew chapter four gets tested, the same word. He's tempted. But in our context this morning, Peter is not saying that God is trying to trip you up through suffering. Peter is saying in our text this morning that God is trying to reveal. He's trying to diagnose what's in your heart. That's what suffering does. Suffering acts almost as a stress test. You know, you get a stress test and they hook you up to the machine. They put you on the treadmill. You got to run, run, run. Like like that's suffering when you're on the treadmill and you're running, running, running. And what, he, what they're trying to do, the doctor is trying to give you a stress. He's trying to reveal what's really, really going on on the inside. And that's God. When he, let me tell you something. If, he, if you want to know what's in your heart, you do not find it through prosperous times. You just don't. You find it through hardship. You find out what's in your heart by going through. There's a, 
A story I heard of a missions team from a large evangelical church that they went overseas to uh, the slums of Africa, a little village in Africa that was a very, very, very poor village. And when they got there, they tried to serve with good intention, tried to serve the, the community there, that little village there. And they saw an old lady there that had been walking with the Lord for quite a while. And when they saw her, they said, you know what, ma'am, can we pray for you? And she says, sure, pray for me. And so they all bowed their head and they begin to pray, Lord, can you remove suffering from her, remove hardship from her? Would you open up doors? Would you give her happy and prosperous days? And then they said, amen. And after they said, amen, she says, oh, can, can I pray for you as well? They were surprised that she wanted to pray for them because they didn't think she had anything to pray. And when she prayed for them, she prayed the opposite of what they prayed. She said, Lord, I pray that they would experience suffering. Pray they get home and their lights would be turned off. They would have two or three days without food because there is something very, very important that God does through suffering. Now, hear me. I'm not trying to push a poverty gospel. I do not believe in a poverty gospel. It is just as dangerous as the prosperity gospel. What I'm trying to say to us is don't be surprised because God is trying to test you. He's trying to see what is in your heart. The greatest way we can see testing in the scriptures, I think, is when you look at the life of Abraham and his wife, Sarah. They waited over 90 years to, uh, to get pregnant, to have a baby. They waited over 90 years. In fact, Sarah, when she heard about it, she laughed. She heard that she was going to be expecting a child. She laughed and she said, but I'm old and my husband is as good as dead. You know you're old when the scripture says you're good <laughs> as dead. But the Bible then goes on to say in verse number 21 of Genesis that she does conceive a child and she gives birth to Isaac. And when she gives birth to him, it's something interesting happens. The next chapter, God says, I'm glad you had a child. I'm glad you had a son. Now take him to Mount Moriah and kill him. Like, how do you like what in the world is going on? It's one thing to say, kill your child. It's another thing to say, sacrifice him, which means literally put his body on fire and watch him be sacrificed. Now, you might be in here saying if you don't have any familiarity with the scriptures, you might be saying that sounds crazy. And I would agree with you. But look at what the text says in, in Genesis chapter 22, verse number one. Now, remember, we're talking about God testing us. Look at what it says. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains in which I shall tell you. And so what God did was God was trying to see if Abraham loved the gift more than the giver. He was trying to see if Abraham loved his son Isaac more than he loved God himself. And we know that, that through that text, Abraham is 100% obedient to the point where the New Testament points back to him to show us what obedience and faith looks like. So what you see happening in Genesis chapter 12 is God saying, I'm going to test you just to see where your heart is. And that is what suffering does. It tests you. So here's it. Here it is. What does it look like? If you lose your job, is God trying to say you love that job more than you love me? What does it look like if your finances can't come together? Is he trying to say you love money more than you love me? What suffering does is it reveals what's in your heart. It reveals through testing time. It, it's the stress test. Suffering is literally the stress test. It shows us what our hearts really is saying. Now, there's some more interesting word, words that are used in verse 13. 
And they're interesting because of the context. Look at the words. I'm going to point out a couple words, and I really would love you guys to just circle them or highlight them or something if you write in your Bibles. Look at verse 13. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice. Here it is. And be glad when the glory is revealed. How in the world do you use in the same text the same sentence that the word suffering is used? You use words like rejoice twice. And you use words like glad. Only the believer, the one that has trusted in Jesus, can go through suffering and go through hardship and not lose your joy. Like some people that have not trusted in Jesus have gone through the same thing you've gone through and lost their mind. But you're sitting in here with your right mind going through the same thing. What does the text say? You have joy because you're a believer. You have joy. Now, he's not saying be in denial. If you need help, if you need to talk to somebody, do it. He's not saying be in denial about your suffering. What he is saying is don't be surprised by it. It's testing time. Rejoice. Old saints, you know, back in the day used to say, this joy that I have, the world didn't give it and the world can't take it away. There was something so rich about that little statement that really affirms what the text is saying to us today. In the midst of the suffering and the persecution that the first century believers were going through, they still had joy. They still were able to rejoice. And we see that throughout Scripture. If you look at places like Acts chapter 5 with the disciples, the Bible says that they're preaching the gospel in the streets. And the high priest and the, and the council is upset about it. And so they grab them and they bring them before the high priest. They bring them for the council. And when they do that, they get beaten for preaching the gospel. Listen, for doing good, they're suffering. But look at what the text says in chapter 5, verse 40 and 42, through 42, it says, And when they called the apostles, listen, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. Watch verse 41. And then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. In the midst of getting beat, the disciples said, I'm going to rejoice over this to the point where it's not going to cause me to be isolated. It's not going to cause me to complain. I'm going to get out in the streets and do it even more. What Peter is showing us this morning is we can have like you have an opportunity to take your your pain and your suffering and do something with it. Have joy. Rejoice. And joy is really a choice. Like you choose to have joy. You can choose to complain. You can choose to be upset about it or you can choose to have joy. Let's get back in the text. Look at verse 14. Verse 14 says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ. You are blessed because of the, because the spirit of glory and God and the spirit of glory and God rest upon you. But let no one suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a meddler. Look at verse 16. And if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God. I don't know if you've picked this up, but between verse 13 and verse 16, three times we have seen the word glory. Three times. Really what Peter is showing us is that your suffering should be a stage in which God is able to get the shine out of your suffering. Like verse 13, he uses the word glory. Verse 14, he uses the word glory. Verse 16, he uses the word glory. 
How in the world does a Christian go through and endure suffering? We do it pointing to God getting the glory. Unfortunately, we take our suffering and we do a pity party. We take our suffering and we point it back to ourselves and we say, woe is me. And we call our friends on the phone and say, look, I'm going through. We want sympathy. But how about you make that a stage for God to get the glory? How about you take your, your cancer, your hardship, your, your, your financial issues and say, God, get the glory out of this. We don't do that. But the text tells us this is what we should do. It's almost it's a way of giving making God bigger. That's what that's what it is. When you give God the glory in the midst of suffering, you're saying God is bigger than my suffering and making God bigger has nothing to do with him actually getting bigger. It has everything to do with your focus on him getting bigger. I was in the fourth grade. I went to I did a field trip to uh, Liberty Science Center and I get to Liberty Science Center and they had this huge telescope. I was so excited about it. And so I went and looked through the telescope. And the interesting thing about a telescope is the telescope itself doesn't make the moon bigger. The telescope helps me to realize how big the moon is. It puts my focus, it puts the moon in perspective for me. Suffering is a telescope. And suffering helps us to zoom in on the bigness of God's glory. Listen to me. We sat in here and we sang, all I want is for you to be glorified. You cannot sing a song that says all I want is for you to be glorified and then suffering happens, which gives God glory. And you're like, I don't want to suffer, though. If you don't want to suffer, don't sing the song. The song says all I want is for you to get glory. And then we go through and God is like, oh, I'm getting glory out of this. And we're like, I don't want that, though. But the text tells us this morning, listen, don't be surprised by it three times. Glory, glory, glory. Now, Peter's going to do something in the next few verses. And it's something that he's consistently done throughout this letter. Look at what Peter does. Pick me back up in verse number 17. He says, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, he's about to quote Proverbs eleven thirty one. You should write that somewhere on that, on that, around that text or in your notes. Here it is. Verse 18. If the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? You notice how I I typically will say something or say a a comment or say a phrase, and then I'll say, let me put some Bible there. When I'm saying, let me put some Bible there, what I'm trying to do is root that thought in the sufficiency of Scripture. What Peter just did to us this morning is he made a quote or a statement in verse 17. In verse 18, Peter is saying, let me put some Bible on what I said in verse 17. He's now quoting back to us the Old Testament. He's quoting Proverbs. And when he quotes it, he he almost paraphrases it a little bit. But the, the idea of that text is still here. Here's what the original text says. Proverbs 11, verse 31. If the righteous is repaid on the earth, how much more than the wicked and the sinner? Here's what, you, here's what he's really trying to say. He's not saying that the righteous scarcely make it in like we almost didn't make it. Like he just pulled you out of the fire at the last minute. That's not what the text is saying. Peter is saying if the, if the believers, if the righteous make it in through suffering and judgment, how much harder will it be for those that stand before God and do not know Jesus? 
He is pointing us again, again to an eschatological view of the scriptures. Verse 5, he talked about the end times. Verse 6, he talked about the end times. Verse 7, he talked about the end times. And here we are once again, and he's saying the believers scarcely make it in through suffering and through pain. But the non-believers, what will become? If you make it in and you've trusted Jesus, and you made it in through cancer, and you're going through chemo, and you're having a hard time here on earth, how much harder will it be for the one that doesn't believe in Jesus? That's what Peter is showing us this morning, and he's doing it in a way that he's going to point us back to Scripture, which I love because he could just say this and just leave it out there. But he's saying, no, 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 this is like, this is back in the Old Testament times. So the Scriptures is very sufficient. Now, he uses another word here. We're going to finish up in verse 19. He uses another word that I find is interesting that I think that if we read it without understanding the context, we really don't understand the, the weight of what Peter is saying. Look back at verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will circle this word, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This word entrust is an interesting one. It, it lends itself to the idea of a traveler on a road. And so a traveler back in, in, in ancient times if a traveler was leaving to go on a journey, he wasn't jumping on a plane and he wasn't jumping in the car, meaning it was going to take him a while when he was gone. So a traveler would leave his house for at least three months, at least three months. And when you would leave your house, what do you do with your valuables? They didn't have home shield security back in ancient times. And so what do you do with your valuables? You have the opportunity to leave them at the house, run the risk of someone stealing them, or you take them with you on the road and you might fall amongst robbers and thieves and still have them taken. But in ancient times, what they would do is they would take their valuables and they would go find a trusted, uh, faithful friend and they would entrust their valuables to that friend. Here's what the text is saying to us today. It says that you're not just entrusting your valuables to God. You are trusting, look at the text, your soul to a faithful God. So we can go through suffering. We can go through hardship and have hope because we are, our souls are entrusted to God. And it doesn't just say God. It says a faithful creator, which is important for you to pick up. Why is that important? Because the same one that created the moon, the same one that created the mountains, the same one that created land and sea, the same one that spoke things into existence, that God has your soul in his very hand. And so we can go through hardship and we can entrust our souls to a faithful God, which makes it different. It makes it different than a non-believer that is not entrusting his soul to a faithful, faithful God. And then the text ends by saying, faithful creator, while doing good, which means when I'm going through suffering, I should continue to do good. I shouldn't isolate myself. What we do is we go through and we stay at home. We don't get amongst the body. But the text is very, very clear that we suffer, but we do so while doing good. We continue to be on the right track for God. Now, here's what I want us to do. I want us to end our time by rooting ourselves in the fact that God is giving us a gift. Suffering is like I want us to retrain our minds. We think suffering is a curse. The text is very clear that suffering is not a curse, it's a gift. Now, here's the thing. It's, it may not be the gift that you want, but it absolutely is the gift that you need. And here's what James 1 will tell me. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. 
It comes from the Father. And so what does it look like to suffer knowing that it's a gift that God is using? Here's why it's a gift, because it gives him glory. My wife and I, we usually celebrate Christmas, my entire family, but, you know, we usually celebrate Christmas. This is one of my favorite times of the year. It's my favorite time of the year for a few reasons. It's my favorite time of the year because of the food, and it's my favorite time because I love Motown music, uh, Motown Christmas music. It's the best. I don't know if you've ever heard it. But you need to listen, get up on some Motown Christmas music. It's my favorite time because of those reasons, but it's also my favorite time because of the exchanging of gifts. One year, my wife and I got together and we said, well, we're going to exchange gifts this Christmas. And we didn't tell each other what we got, which we normally do. And she just got into sewing. And so I went and bought her the top of the line sewing machine. And I, yeah, I felt like I was balling. I wasn't. I wasn't. <laughs> Got a top of the line uh, a sewing machine. We get together. We exchange gifts. And her response let me in on the fact that my gift wasn't up to par as what she, what she was about to give me. So when I got before her, she said, she opened it up and she's like, oh, my God, I didn't get you like the same type of gift. Like, I didn't know we was exchanging gifts like this. That's never a good thing if you hear that. And when she tells me that, I begin to reach into the bag and pull out my gift. And I realized that she got me a scarf, a hat and some underwear. She saw the disappointment on my face, but her statement was very important. Her statement was this. I did not get you what you wanted, but I got you what you needed. And that is what suffering is. God gives you a gift of suffering, not what you want, but it is what you need. And every one of us in here, maybe you've walked in this room and you walked in with the heaviness of suffering. Look at it as a gift, as as something that you need, something that will produce uh, 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 some type of sanctification in your life, something that will help you to look more, my, more like Jesus. Why is it that we've trusted in Jesus who suffered, but we think we don't have to suffer? And Jesus' suffering produced glory as well. What was the glory? That he saved sinners, that he saved you. Someone that could not save himself, he saved us. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Can I suggest to you today that God is able to He's able to produce more out of hardship than he does out of prosperity. I know that sounds so backwards than what we really believe. We don't believe that, but the reality is that, that it's true. Don't believe the person that says you come to Christ and everything's going to go well. It's, it's not. You come to Christ and you will have hardship. Father, I want to pray for every single person in this room. Every person that has trusted in you. I pray that they would realize that suffering is a gift for them. It's not a punishment. You are not punishing us. But suffering, number one, helps us to look more like Christ. But you're testing us to see what's in our heart. And I pray that we would realize that that is is what you're doing. Father, I don't want to downplay the suffering of those in this room. I realize that some people are going through serious hardship. Some people are really having a tough time, but Father, help them to find a way to keep joy, but bring you glory. Text tells us this morning that you're able to do that. So would you show us ways? Put people around us that can remind us of this text. Put people around us that can remind us not to throw our hands up, but remind us that our souls are entrusted to a faithful creator. Give us endurance. Give us long suffering. And at the end of this thing, Lord, we look forward to the day when you come back for us where there is no more suffering. There is no more hardship. But until that day, help us to suffer well. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.